So in 2012, Instagram got sold to Facebook for $1 billion. That is billion with a B. And uh, that's a whole lot of money. Back in 2012, today, billion, whole lot of money. So that money went to a few different places. Uh, about $500 million went to the initial founders of the company. The two guys that co-founded it, they got the, the like half of it, $500 million. Uh, about $400 million went to the investors, the people who had given the money up front in order to kickstart the business. And then about $100 million went to the employees of the company. At which time of the sale, there were, oh, here we go. There were 13 employees when the company got sold. And they split $100 million. And it gets even better because one of those employees had been working at the company for a month when they sold the company. Can you imagine that? You start a new job, you're four weeks in, just kind of getting used to the swing of things, just figured out how to make coffee in the break room, bam, you get a share of $100 million from the sale of this company. That would be awesome, right? So this doesn't have anything to do whatsoever with the sermon. I just kind of, that's how I feel right now, getting to preach the very first sermon at our new headquarters. Like, this is just a gorgeous place. I'm so excited to be here. So if you've been here for the past few weeks, uh, we're in a series called Control B. We're talking about boldness in our faith. And if you've been here for the three sermons that have preceded this, then you've heard um, we started off by talking about why boldness is necessary, why it's important and necessary to be bold in life and especially in faith. Um, and then we went into talking about why we can be bold towards God. Like what are the reasons why we can actually be bold towards him because he was actually bold towards us first. And then if you were here for Jake's last sermon a couple weeks ago, you heard him talk about the uh, importance of recognizing those opportunities to be bold. And as we're closing out this sermon series on boldness, um, I want to send us out in the right direction. And kind of zooming out a little bit and looking at boldness as a whole, it's a little bit weird to talk about boldness in the Christian faith at kind of first blush because the Christian faith has a lot of really great selling points, right? Like if I was a marketing director for Christianity, I would have a whole list of items to put on the brochure. There's, there's stuff like uh, eternal life with God. That's a classic, right? It's like that one kind of comes right out at front. An abundant life here on earth full of joy and peace and patience and long-suffering and love and, and all of these great things that were promised from God while we're here on earth. Um, and finally, if nothing else, a community of people, of like-minded people who love you, who accept you, and how you get to hang out with once a week at cool places like this, right? There's so many great selling points in Christianity, so many great promises that we have from God. And maybe if you're sitting here, those are perhaps what have brought you to faith, is the, the good things that, that God promises, that Christianity offers, um, or maybe you're on the other side of the coin, and maybe that has brought you away from faith because those promises kind of at first blush seemed really great. And then over time, they started to become less and less maybe realistic or they started to become untrue or maybe even worse and slipperiest of all, that they began to seem true, but just not for you, just for maybe other people but something that you maybe will never get to see or experience. That's where I want to take us this morning as we're ending the series in boldness. I want to I take a look at that 
space and that place where those promises from God don't quite seem to be everything that they were cracked up to be maybe in the beginning. Um, if you were here for the first sermon series in the series, Jake was uh, kind of looking at the Israelites, this people in the Old Testament thousands of years ago that God had brought out of slavery for 400 years in the land of Egypt, and he had brought them out and rescued them by a guy named Moses. And when, when, we, uh, when, we were, when Jake was preaching uh, and uh, initially starting off the series, we had left the Israelites right as they were um, crossing through, like right as they were at the border of the Red Sea. The Egyptians were on their tail. They were stuck between a rock and a hard place. And they were really just kind of wanting to turn tail and run. And yet God brought them through. And the boldness of, of trusting in God brought them through the Red Sea. So I want to fast forward with the Israelites about 40 years after that point. And at this point, they are on the border of the promised land, which if you're familiar with the story of the Israelites, you know that the God didn't just rescue them out of Egypt. He didn't just call them his chosen people and brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He was leading them towards something. He was leading them towards a promised land. There was a place, a blessing. There was good things ahead of them in this promised land. And where we pick up with the Israelites, for 40 years they have been wandering in the desert. God's been leading them this whole time through Moses, but they've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, waiting for the promised land. And now they're on the banks of the Jordan River, and on the other side is the promised land. And their current leader, Moses, he is retiring. God made it clear he is not going to lead them into the promised land. He is soon going to die. And he's passing off the mantle of leadership to a guy named Joshua, who's going to lead the Israelites into the promised land. And so this passage we're going to look at this morning, and really the entire book of Deuteronomy, is kind of Moses' last charge to the people that he has brought out of slavery through the Red Sea, through the desert for 40 years, and now to the banks of the Jordan River, where on the other side is the promise that they've been waiting for for decades. And this is what he chooses to say to them in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. Moses says this, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if we put ourselves in the Israelites' shoes, or sandals, if you will, in this moment, they, again, they have been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. If you are under the age of 40, this is all that you've ever known. All that you've ever known is this wandering in the desert, provision from God and this looking ahead towards a promised land that your parents and your grandparents, your friends and their parents and their grandparents have told you about. If you're on the age of 40 in this room, can you imagine 
looking ahead towards something on the other side of, ri of a river that you have been promised for your entire life. And then Moses, who's been leading you this whole time, like your awesome, fearless, strong leader, gets up and drops this bomb kind of on the whole party that's probably about to take place, right? Just kind of like almost puts a, a damper on things. It could have been like such a rah-rah moment. It, it could have been like, hey, guys, here it is. Go and get them. Joshua, here's the leadership baton. Go get them. It could have been, it could have been such a pump-up moment. But instead, he gives them and he presents them with a very solemn and serious choice. Life or death, blessing or curse, following God or straying away once they're in the promised land. And the thing is, this was probably the best time for Moses to bring this up because the promise was right ahead of them, but the battle was only just now beginning. Up until this point, their worst enemy had been themselves, practically, just being patient and long-suffering and waiting and wandering in the desert. But now, with the promise right on the other side of the river, they are also about to experience the worst battles that they have ever seen. Again, if you're under the age of 40 in this group, you've never really known any sort of hardship besides just the desert, where God was miraculously bringing food and water to you daily. And yet, on the other side of this river in the promised land, were battles where the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the people who were living in this land that you were going to have to battle for the promise. And while the and Moses was pleading with them to continue following after God, even when God's promise was right on the horizon. We often forget that our promise doesn't come without a fight. We often forget that. The promises that we, that we get from God, the things that we see in the Bible, the good things are there. And yet at the same time, there's a battle, there's a struggle, there's a fight that will require of us boldness. And this, this is something that we see in many arenas of our life. If there's anything that you're ever striving towards that you think is worth fighting for, then you inherently know there's going to be effort involved. If you've ever quit your job and gone back to school to pursue a different career or a different interest, then you immediately know that there's going to be some work involved. There's going to be struggle. It's going to be a fight. If you've ever pursued a relationship with another person, you don't just go up to them and boom, you're just in a relationship and it's great. No, it takes a fight. It takes struggle. You have to pursue it boldly. You have to embrace the uncertainty of the struggle that you're putting yourself into. Just, just this past weekend, we celebrated, or this weekend, it is a weekend, geez, um, we celebrated the 4th of July, which was the Declaration of Independence from um, of America. And yet it took eight years of battle and struggle and boldness required of the colonies in order to make that promise, that make that dream come true. We see this, we understand this in so many arenas of life, but sometimes in faith, it's sometimes hard to kind of see the exact same process repeating itself. And at this time, Moses is a wise old man who knows that the Israelites are at an especially crucial time in their journey. The promised land is right in front of them, and yet their battle is just beginning. Now more than ever, they need to hold fast to following God. And the thing is that God doesn't ever promise an easy time following him, even when we're following him perfectly. He didn't ever say to the Israelites, hey guys, you're going to go into the promised land, and except for all that stuff that you did back there, it would have just been a cakewalk for you guys, but unfortunately now you're going to have to fight battles. 
He didn't say that. The expectation all along was that there was going to be battles and struggles in the promised land. In the midst of the promise, there would be a fight that would require of the Israelites boldness to overcome. That was always the plan. The Israelites didn't mess up to make the battles and fights happen. They may have made it worse, like they made poor decisions sometimes, and that just kind of set them back a little bit. But the battles and the struggles were always there. God never promises that it's going to be easy because he sees value and there's something to be gained in the battles that lay ahead. What God promises involves work. It involves effort. It involves grinding and frustration and boldness because there is value in that process. If somebody just handed you a PhD, it really wouldn't mean anything if you didn't work for it. Following God comes with awesome promises, but struggles and battles and frustrating times. We believe as Christians that we will be formed and perfected into the image of God's son, Jesus. But there's work that is involved in that process. We have the promise of eternity with God, but we still have to deal with the reality of living in a broken world here and now. I've heard it described in this way of a now but not yet. Just like we are promised an abundant life now and also not yet. In that in the midst of the promises, there is still a struggle and a battle to be had. (coughs) We believe he promises a life of abundance and joy and fulfillment. Yes, but not necessarily constant happiness. Until we realize that he values the growth and the growing and the stretching and the effort and the struggle, we will be frustrated by faith every single time. Because no, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Anything that's worth having is worth fighting for. And God puts enormous value in that struggling process. And that process for us requires boldness. And we've been operating on this, this definition of boldness being embracing the uncertain. Just knowing that we don't know everything, we don't have it all figured out, and living in that and stepping out anyway. And when it comes to faith and following God, there's so many unknowns. There are. There's going to be doubts, there's going to be struggles, fears, trials, battles that will require us to step into that uncertainty and trust the one who's started the process in the first place. This is where boldness is required of us. Following God requires sacrifice and obedience for us to set aside what we think is right, for us to set aside what we want to do, what we think the best thing to do is, and to say, all right, God, I don't know what you have going on, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to embrace the uncertainty of what you say versus what I think And I'm going to choose to follow you and put aside what I want. There's this sort of grinding, difficult obedience that's just built on a trust and a faith in him that is required in faith. The thing is, one of the things that's useful in these battles, in the struggles, is they are polarizing. They're a litmus test, if you will. They will show you where your motivations truly lie. Because if we look back at the the passage with Moses and the Israelites, there were at this time, like estimates, two to four million Israelites. They were a huge group of people. And so Moses knew, based on the past 40 years of experience with his people, not everybody was 100% on board 
with the whole God and the promised land, there were some people, I guarantee you, that were probably just coasting. They were just like, hey, I like being an Israelite. I like being God's chosen people. And I get this promised land thing, and God said it's flowing with milk and honey. And man, that sounds awesome. Sign me up. But the thing is, they weren't in it to follow God. They were in it for the blessing and the promise, but not necessarily for God. And the struggles that, and the battles that were going to come were going to polarize them. And it was going to display very clearly what they were in it for, who they were doing it for, and the motivations underlying everything leading up to that point. That's what these battles and the struggles do in our lives. And a word of warning, a so word of sober warning, if, if maybe that's perhaps that's, that's you, that you've, you've come to faith wanting the promises, wanting the good things, wanting the blessings and the benefits that come with Christianity, they are there. I truly believe that if you follow God's ways, regardless of where your heart is, where your mind's at, you will absolutely receive benefit from doing things God's way. You will absolutely get the, the blessings and the promises to an extent, and you will end up exactly where you're aiming. You'll end up right there. You'll get the blessings and the promises. You will miss out completely on God. You will miss out completely on the relationship with him that we were designed for and created for, that we as Christians believe is truly the most fulfilling part of life, what we were designed and created to do. Moses was trying to get every person to think, am I following God or am I just kind of an Israelite? Do I just wear this label? Is there any motivation behind my actions rather than just wanting the promised land? Asking the question, why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? What is this for? What's my ultimate motivation? Those questions in the midst of the fight and the struggle will really help show exactly where those motivations lie. They're a great litmus test for us to determine where our allegiance truly is. So then what, what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Like, this kind of a kind of a downer way to end a series, if we're being honest. Well, Moses told the Israelites to choose which way they were going to go. He said, choose life or death, blessing or curse. Choose to follow and love the Lord your God or to go and follow other gods. He lay it before them very clearly. It's a very solemn choice. Very methodical and practical instruction. He's speaking to a group of people who came for out of Egypt through miracles, came through the Red Sea through a miraculous display of God's power, and have been wandering in the desert led by God for 40 years. And Moses is basically saying, hey, don't quit now. Don't let these ba the, the struggles ahead and the boldness that is required of you distract you away from where you've been and where you've been headed this whole time. Don't let the battle change your mind about where you're headed or who you're following. And if you're a Christian here today, if you are a follower of God, then stay the course. If this describes you in the midst, if, if you're in a fight right now, if there's something that where you, you've seen the Bible, like, hey, this is what God says to do, and it doesn't make any sense compared to what I want to do whatsoever, and you're stuck in that tension, being pulled in two directions, then this passage has very simple instructions. Stay the course. Look at what God says and be obedient to that. 
just set aside for a moment what you would what you would do and have that maturity have the boldness to step into what God has said what he has promised because that's where the promise lies and ultimately that's where God will meet us we're a work in progress this is something that's been encouraging for me in those times and for what it's worth to share with you it's comforting to me to recognize that I'm in one of those struggles that I'm in one of those places where there's tension pulling me in two directions and I know the right thing to do, but I don't want to do it. It's comforting to realize that I'm a work in progress. And in that moment, that's the evidence that God hasn't given up on me yet. That he, again, values the process. He values the battle and the struggles. That he didn't pave the way for the Israelites to just go and have all those great things. And he's not paving the way for me either. Because there's value and there's worth in what I'm going through. He hasn't given up on me yet. He hasn't given up on you yet. Stay the course. Look at what God says and be obedient to it. Choose life. Choose to follow God's way. And just keep it real, real simple. There's no, there's no magic potions. Love your neighbor and your enemy. Serve the people around you with love. Set your focus on God. And let him bring the promises into fruition in his timing. Let him do, let him worry about the promises. Just take it decision by decision, moment by moment, just one step at a time. And if you aren't a follower of God or if you're on the fence, you're skeptical about this, I'm really glad that you're here. Because as, as a, a, a pastor that I once heard a few years ago, um, he was, he was preaching a sermon about something, but he said this line that really stuck out to me. He said, if you find that you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, don't change the thing, change the reason. And the thing is that following God and doing things his way comes with blessing. It comes with promise that we can step into. And if you're not a follower of God necessarily, but you're experiencing the blessings of following him, perhaps don't, don't change those things. Don't start doing the wrong thing, but perhaps look at the reason why you're doing it. Look at what God says to do, and then consider the reasons why, why am I doing this this way? Why is this working out well? Why am I experiencing this promise? And then consider, well, what if, what if I aim this towards God? What if this could be a step towards God and starting to trust him, not only in the ways that make sense when I do things his way, but even when they don't make sense. Could there be a small step of boldness towards God by changing not the thing, but changing the reason that we're doing something? If nothing else, I hope that you can walk away from this even just slightly better informed about it, what it looks like to follow God. It's not a cakewalk, guys. It just isn't. If you talk with anyone in this room that, that follows God, you will hear it is, it's not an easy path. It's not constant happiness. It's not constant just overflowing blessings of like the grandest sort. But it's a good path. It's the best path to follow. It's so, so worth it to follow the one who created the universe and designed us to be in relationship with him. That's what we believe as Christians. That's worth pursuing. That's worth finding more out.
I encourage you to face this headlong. If you've ever seen how God, how, how God's ways bring about better results than our ways, well then find out a little bit more about what God says. What does he say about life? What does he say about us? What does he say about the world? What does he say about himself and the way that he interacts with us? I hope that there's something there that would cause you to, to wonder just a little bit if this is how God's ways work out in my life, well, then maybe God himself is worth considering a little bit further. In closing, as we're wrapping up this series on boldness, embracing the uncertainty, keep going, keep following God. Like Moses was saying, the promise is just on the other side. The blessings of following God are there. They are real. They don't come for free. They don't come easily. But they're worth fighting for, not just because the other side is going to be really, really, really good, but because there's value in the process. There's value in the growth. There's value in the struggle that we have. God values that immensely and deeply, and so should you. And if you're not a follower of God, then perhaps study what he says a little bit. Take a look at uh, the book of John. I find that's a, that's probably a good place to start if you've never really read through the Bible too much. The book of John. It's a really good way to kind of start finding out about who we are and who God believes that we are and who he says that we are. So I'm going to pray for us real quick and the band's going to come up and sing us a few more songs. Let's go out boldly.